0: Welcome into the Locked on Knicks podcast, Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf, and we are continuing our player preview series with perhaps our favorite of all the players on the Knicks. It is that big day. It's Emmanuel Quickly time on Locked on Knicks. What are we going to get into, Alex?
1: Yeah, we're going to talk about all kinds of things, Emmanuel Quickly, talk about how impressive last year was for him and what he could improve upon this year talk about what he said he's been improving on how versatile he is on defense if you can afford to play him and derek rose in high leverage games and situations together uh and just kind of as we have with everybody talk about what would make a successful season for emmanuel quickly this year so we're getting into all that next on locked on knicks you are locked on knicks your daily new york knicks podcast part of the locked on podcast network your team every day and I think we see Willis coming out. Here he comes right now.
0: without a five. Ewing from the rim. Yes! Hubs up, up, left. And now fires it. He good! And he's fouled!
1: And, and he's out! Anthony for three.
0: Locked On Knicks, and we wanted to thank you for making Locked On Knicks your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms, including very, very soon on YouTube. Once again, I am Gavin Shaw, a play-by-play broadcaster. You could have caught me broadcasting professional soccer a week ago. This week, it's some high school football. Always, always something exciting on the docket. Much more relevant to this podcast, he is Alex Wolf, the editor-in-chief of the Strickland, the greatest Knicks website on the internet, and newly a beat writer for Clutch Points covering, you guessed it, the New York Knicks. So he will be at every home game this year and will be able to provide us even more unique insight, maybe, maybe even some breaking stories. Who knows, Alex? I'm not going to set any limits on you uh, this season. But today we are going to get into the man, the myth, the legend himself, Emmanuel Quickly, the 22-year-old megastar, maybe that's overstating it a little bit, but a megastar in my heart, uh, first team all-rookie a season ago averaged 11.5 points per game, two rebounds, two assists, 39.5% from the field for the year, an outstanding 39% from three, and 89% from the foul line. So Alex, by any standard, it was a fantastic rookie season for Emmanuel Quickly. It was one that exceeded our wildest expectations, which were relatively low, um, or they were at the very least like kept in check when the Knicks first drafted him. And I, I guess the only thing to ask is, how do you feel about him coming into this year? Because it's so clear that this is typically someone on that trajectory who makes an all-rookie first team, especially a, a relatively young rookie. You're looking at their second season and saying, all right, are we going to start seeing signs of the jump? Are we going to start seeing flashes of this guy being a star? Or is he just sort of going to be who he was as a rookie, which is a really useful player or something more than that? And, and I guess where I want to start this conversation Are we even going to have a chance to really find that out, given what the Knicks added this offseason at point guard?
1: Well, Gavin, you're talking about megastar in our hearts. He's he's first team all-rookie in our hearts, too, because he did actually, I think, only make second team all-rookie, which was a travesty.
0: Oh because right, we, we literally talked about that last podcast.
1: Who who was it that made it above him mean, again?
0: Deshaun Tate. Deshaun
1: yeah. Tate. That's right. right I yeah, think,
0: I think my brain just you know there. You know when like people get like mind wiped and like certain things are implanted in their head, like sort of like Winter Soldier, and it's very hard to get it out. I, I think I think I have that with Emmanuel quickly making yeah. the All Rookie Team over Deshaun Tate.
1: I mean, it's how it should have been. So I, I don't blame you for, for being fully resolute in that belief. But yeah, uh, technically speaking, only a second team all-rookie. But then again, R.J. Barrett didn't even make one. And I think we can both agree, uh, based off our preview for him, that our ceiling for him at this point is potential all-star or you know maybe at his best all-NBA player at this point. So uh, I'm, I'm not reading too much into that. However, with Quickly, I mean, I, I do think I think that there's definitely a blueprint for a potential. I mean, I always, I always struggle with how, how, uh, lofty to set expectations, but I mean, we talked about it a number of times last year. There is a blueprint in Emmanuel quickly to be a star here. You know, there's, we can look at him and, and see like these flashes of skills, the guys like Steph Curry and, um you know, Damian Lillard, like these sort of mega stars in the NBA have and granted quickly has a long ways to go before he reaches the level of any of those guys. Like for example, his handle would have to get a million times better to start getting in, in a class with those guys, his, uh, shooting consistency and percentages and ability to create space for a shot would have to get better. And especially his game on the inside would really have to get better. You know, he really, he has a lot of improvements to make, uh, you know, anywhere inside the three-point line, I would say, other than maybe his floater, which even that sort of came in in fits and spurts last year. So, you know, I think that there's there's a case to be made that if everything breaks correctly, you could be looking at a player that is a superstar. Um, if I, the the best thing, though, I think, is that if nothing breaks right, I think you're still looking at a player that has a role in the NBA, and so already. Based off draft position at 25, the Knicks have found a player that's going to be useful for them for his entire rookie contract, probably his whole second contract, probably his whole third contract if he ever signs one with the Knicks, you know what I mean? Which seems insane considering uh, the amount of players that have come and gone without signing a rookie extension, RIP to that dream for Frank Milikina. Uh, probably about to come up for Kevin Knox. Hopefully next offseason we'll get that R.J. Barrett extension inked and can finally put that Charlie Ward curse to bed. Um, but, you know, I, I think that I, – I think quickly is just no matter what his – the biggest thing he proved last year – What? It, well, okay, it's it's equal, I guess. He proved that his ceiling is very high, but he also – Prove that his floor is extremely high as well. And that's almost just as valuable because you now know, you know, even if he never reaches star status, he'll always be, you know, probably I I won't go so far as to say a Lou Williams type because Lou Williams is like a multiple time six man of the year award winner. But he'll always be in that same mold of a guy that can come in off the bench, get you some buckets, stretch the defense and generally make life hell for bench players on the other team. And, you know, that that's an important role to fill. Uh, on any NBA team and, you know, especially for a Knicks team that hopefully not this year with the additions of Kemba and Fournier, but you know, last year and for many years prior has struggled to score the basketball. Um, Those type of players are always important and always going to be useful and have a role on the team. So, um, yeah, I I think that's basically where we're at with him. But, you know, we could start now projecting forward, I think, here in a second. Um, I do think, though, maybe I should let everybody know first about our one sponsor and just get this get this out of the way real quick, because then we can keep going on with the stats discussion and stuff. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Sleeper, and I, I've been really excited about Sleeper becoming one of our sponsors because I've been using them for fantasy football for years. Shout out to my three-in-one fantasy football team right now. And this new basketball game that they have is the best fantasy basketball experience that I've ever had. As someone who is more of a fantasy football guy with the weekly lineup setting and all that, uh, it, it's it's much preferable to me uh, than the than the whole, you know, switching lineups every single day, whatever. But let, let me stop rambling and just tell you about it. In 2018, the fantasy experts at Sleeper, Realized fantasy basketball was broken. Games were being won and lost based on whose players had more scheduled games. Didn't make sense, required very little strategy. So in 2020, Sleeper released a brand new way of playing fantasy basketball, and it's called Game Pick. It's only available on Sleeper. In Game Pick, owners pick a single game per week for each starter to count towards their team's total score, ensuring an even number of games played between opponents The days of losing because your opponent's players simply have more scheduled games to play in that week are over. The days of mindless daily busy work are over. The days of giving up halfway through the season because of that busy work are also over. That was certainly me a number of times in fantasy basketball. In game picks, you pick one game per week for each player based on player matchups, home versus away, opponent's defensive rating, pace of play, and more. And all that adds up to more strategy and less busy work. Whether you prefer Redraft, Keeper, or Dynasty, Game Picks has you covered. I can certainly speak very kindly to the the efficiency of their Dynasty format because I've had a fantasy league that's been around for over 10 years now, and since moving over to Sleeper, Dynasty has been much, much more fun to do. You can trade draft picks. You can do all the features that you could possibly want in there. Sleeper cracked the fantasy basketball code. And if you, like me, play fantasy football, and if you prefer building out a weekly strategy versus daily busy work, you're going to love Game Picks. Download the Sleeper app and start a league with your friends today. You will not be disappointed.
0: And today's episode is also brought to you by DirecTV. Does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live. Another that lets you stream your favorite shows. You're watching sports highlights on your phone. And you've got your neighbor's best friend's login for the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all that entertainment you love without the hassle and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before. So you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part, there's no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. A compatible device is required. Content varies by package. And with that, we are back on the on Nicks podcast. We wanted to once again thank you for making Lockdown Nicks your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms, including soon on YouTube. We'll let you know exactly when that happens. But Alex, uh, let's let's continue that conversation on Emmanuel quickly. I'm I'm going to throw it right back to you because I, I don't I don't think you ever got a chance to answer. Um, the, the first question I was throwing out there, and that's like, what do you what do you ultimately see as his role this year? And and even more so than that, because I guess we kind of know what his role is going to be, right? He's probably gonna play 18-ish minutes. That, that's generous. I think we initially had him at around more like 15 um, minutes a game off the bench with Derek Rose as sort of his his co-point guard out there. Does that setting, that that environment, give him an opportunity to make significant strides? Is he going to be able to get better at running an offense when he doesn't have a lot of time really running an offense? Is he going to be able to get better as a passer when he's not going to really be the guy breaking down the defense and sort of creating that like initial domino effect you want it? That'll most likely be Rose. Like what are his avenues for improvement this year? And I I guess there's a world where your answer could be like, there will be improvements, but maybe we just won't get to see them to the fullest extent because of that setting.
1: Yeah. I think maybe that might be the answer. I mean, I do think, you know, I think we sort of talked about this on the Deuce preview the other day, too, right? That for quickly to get point guard minutes, and we talked about this on the rotation show, too, you know, for quickly to get minutes, I, I think that there's going to need to be rest days for Kemba and or Derek Rose. Like, I just don't or I guess, you know, in in the times, the frequent times that we see Rose and quickly share the floor together, who just, you know. Maybe Ro- Rose seems pretty deferential and, and he was good off the ball, you know, in, in spot up situations, getting the ball from like Julius Randall last year and stuff like that. So maybe there are some situations where IQ is out there with Rose and they say, all right, you know, especially if the Knicks are up or something, you know, if you're up like 10 or 15 points or whatever, the Knicks might say, all right, IQ, you know, you're running the the show for the next like five possessions. So make them count, you know, like go out there and and run the offense and then, you know, find your spots off ball once you give up the ball, that sort of thing. And, and let's just see how this all works. And um, so I, you know, I don't know. I, I I do think that there is something to be said that it is going to be hard for him to find minutes when the Knicks are fully healthy this year, which is a problem. I mean, I I do think that they really need to be prioritizing him because I think, I I think that he's the rare player that again, because that high floor can, do stuff for the Knicks that will help winning this year, no matter what. But, you know, also that high ceiling dictates that like, you know, as great as say an Alec Burks is to helping the the winning product right now, maybe your time is better spent giving some of those minutes to quickly and reducing Burks's role a little bit, or, you know, maybe it's worth giving Fournier some half nights off now and again to let quickly play more. Maybe it's worth it to do the same for Kemba Walker, you know, if you're if you're having a pretty good night and you know you're up by 10 15 points maybe Tibbs should just kind of trust quickly to to win or lose the game and put him out there for the whole fourth quarter or something and just see how it goes um and you know if you lose one game here and there then you know so be it you know it's it's not the end of the world I you know I don't think the Knicks should be so concerned with every single uh, winning every single you know regular season game this year because uh, as we saw last year that was valuable up until the point of getting to the playoffs. And then the better team won anyway, because the Hawks just beat the Knicks and they were the better team in the playoffs. And that was pretty obvious. Um, once you saw the Hawks make it to the Easter conference finals too, you know, so I, I and the Hawks are a team that will put their young players out there and just kind of let them, let them spin a little bit and see how it goes. And, you know, if it, if, you know, if it takes sacrificing a regular season win here and there, they, they probably don't care too much because they know that, those players are getting valuable experience that they can use in the playoffs. So I don't know. I mean, I guess kind of that is to say, Gavin, the answer to that question to me is basically, unfortunately, you know, some of it might require Tibbs sort of reconfiguring how he does this whole thing. And I don't know how realistic it is to expect that because Tibbs has been doing this for a long time. And, you know, I think generally his strategy is to, uh, to just kind of, (laughs) You know, try to win every single game and run your guys into the ground if that's what it takes to win regular season game number thirty-seven. You know, uh, without uh, with an eye on the standings, which is important, but you know, without an eye on the how that maybe affects the the long term development of some players. But my, I guess my only saving grace in this whole thing is that maybe having seen what he saw from him as a rookie last year, and given how much he played R.J. Barrett as a second year player last year. Maybe Tibbs does kind of make a point to play quickly more this year. Now that he's gotten his feet wet, he's going to be in his second year and should have a, a much greater grasp and understanding of how to play the game.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's completely fair. And I, I think another an interesting question along this line is: Is there a world where Emmanuel quickly, as soon as this season, is a better player than Derrick Rose? I, I doubt that that is a likely scenario. But remember, when the Knicks were were getting Derrick Rose, we were sort of questioning like is this worth it even though the Knicks essentially gave up nothing to get him because like the last time he was in New York, he was a negative player and he went from that to like probably being, I mean, I keep, I always say it like the Knicks best player in the postseason, second best player since he was on the team, but there there were elements to it that felt a little bit unsustainable. Like, like on the Knicks again, 35 game stretch, he was at 41% from three. He'd never had a season over 37% for his career. He's at 31% from three. He shot 49% from the field. He was shooting again just the first 15 games of the year but he's shooting 43% um, in Detroit. There, there's a world where quickly if he if what we saw in summer League was sort of only the beginning and he he really did make a major major jump over the rest of the offseason where he's the more useful player. I don't think that's the most likely scenario, but it's possible and, and you can I mean someone could throw out like does it really matter like they're basically to play all their minutes together anyways and that's true. But I do think there will be times where Rose is inserted into closing lineups with Kemba Walker, with Evan Fournier, um, and maybe like Julius Randle and Mitchell Robinson, like when R.J. is off nights and we've seen that Tibbs isn't afraid to sit R.J. for long stretches when he's not shooting well or or not having an exceptionally good game. Again, maybe R.J. makes a jump and that changes and R.J. is just automatically out there. But I wonder if there's a world where it's ever Kemba and quickly playing those minutes because quickly is really going off and having a good game. And that's an avenue where he gets more time. It just seems like there's a number of different pathways to really significant playing time for him. And I just, I, I wonder if Tibbs will be like, if if those pathways come at the expense of a Derrick Rose or even even a Kemba Walker, if, if he's not having the season we expect him to have, is Tibbs willing to go with quickly in those scenarios? Or is he always going to show deference to the older guys who obviously have infinitely better resumes than Emmanuel quickly at this point.
1: Yeah. It's uh, to go back to, could he be better than Rose? This I don't know if I see quite that, but I guess there is a world where that could happen. They just play such disparate styles of, of basketball though, that I feel like it's going to be hard to make a one-to-one comparison between the two. But uh, because like the thing is, is that Rose's main skill, despite having the perimeter shooting is still getting to the basket. And I just, I don't see any world where quickly gets that much better. This would be a good opportunity actually to actually throw out a couple stats. stats. Um, his I mean, quickly's two point finishing honestly was really not great last year. Um, per cleaning the glass, he shot uh 49.7% effective field goal percentage, which was the 36th percentile in the NBA. And most of that was dragged down by his non three point shooting numbers. Cause his three point shooting numbers were not half bad. Like, His non corner threes, AKA, you know, above the break threes, um, which was most of what he shot. He shot 39% on, which was the 68th percentile for guards. Uh, and for all three pointers, he also shot 39%, which was 60th percentile for guards in the NBA, which that's great. You know, that's, that means he's, he's, you know, above average as far as guards as a rookie shooting from three. And so many of his came off the dribble as well. Um, but his, his Rim numbers and his uh, mid-range numbers are really, really not great. Like, so at the rim, he shot 56%. That's only good for 37th percentile um, in the NBA. And then I won't even go over, like, short mid-range, long mid-range. Or actually, you know what? I will. Short mid-range, he shot 40%, which was only 43rd percentile among guards in the league. And that's important to note because as great as we thought his floater was, that would generally qualify as a a short mid-range shot. Um, when you're talking about scoring it statistically. And so even with how good his floater was, he still was only in the 43rd percentile from the short mid-range. So that is to say, even his, even his floater needs to get better um, as much as we lauded that for large parts of the season. I think we sort of saw that when it the floater really fell off uh, as the season went on. And then from all mid-range, he shot 37%, which was only the 30th percentile among guards. So, um, I mean, in general, I think he's... I think that's probably one of the biggest things he's got to work on is getting to the getting to the rim and utilizing things that aren't just the three point shot or the floater. And you know we did see him start to work on that last year, and I think that he also showed some work on that in summer league. But uh, Gavin, you actually you, you had a pretty good stat that you pulled from Macri's newsletter. I don't know if you want to share that real quick because I actually think that the foul drawing and, and we'll see how the new rules affect him, which is something else that you were curious about. But I mean, I think that the foul drawing is going to be one of the big things that helps bump that percentage up. If he starts being more willing to get all the way to the rim and use his, his pretty adept ability to draw fouls that he mostly displayed on the perimeter last year on the inside. I I think, you know, that could be a really big boon to his game this year.
0: Yeah. So the stat courtesy of our friend, Jonathan Macri uh, courtesy of according to, uh, excuse me. Courtesy of cleaning the glass, it was it was a double courtesy. Emmanuel quickly was one of only three players under 22 years old to finish in the 60th percentile or higher in terms of shooting fouls drawn, uh, floor fouls drawn, and and ones joining Zion Williamson and Lamelo Ball. So that is pretty elite company because we're we're talking about Emmanuel quickly, who was very poor getting to the rim, and then we're talking about Zion Williamson, who is the best around the rim athlete to enter the NBA since LeBron James, maybe since further back than that, maybe since forever, and LaMelo Ball, who has one of the more advanced handles of anyone to enter the NBA um, in recent memory and is also about six foot seven. The fact that Quickly's in there was indicative of the fact that he was a savant in, in terms of manipulating defenders relative to his age, a skill that he didn't really even have in his bag when he initially got to Kentucky, but as, as we talked to a lot of different people about it, we found out that was something he very, very rapidly developed over the course of his second season in Lexington, and it immediately trans- translated over to the NBA. Um, as we noted, uh, the rules in the league will be much stricter this year about foul baiting, about pump faking, and bumping into people. Basically, if you're Trey Young, you're not allowed to shatter, uh, was it Reggie Bullock or Alec Burks' jaw, and, and get free throws? I don't quite remember. Um, but <laughs> that that'll certainly affect quickly. And to your point, Alex, I'm curious how that translates around the rim because I, I think on the perimeter you can sort of get by with craft in, in terms of drawing fouls around the rim. I, I just don't think there's any uh, anything to make up for um, just like sheer like physicality and threat, except for the fact that quickly. I and mean, we we saw this in summer league, and I'm curious if it translates over to how guys are are guarding him in the NBA. Guys were so freaked out by his shot, like you'd see people thirty-five feet away from the basket around him, and every little jab and move he'd make, they'd start twitching, basically, because they wanted to be on top of his release and and not let him get that look off. And with quickly's sorry quickness, um, he could get by them and could get all the way to the rim. We saw someone who was certainly improved in that capacity in summer league. Obviously, the NBA is a whole different ball game, But if he's able to have that advantage creation that a shot gives him, I think he'll be a guy who still gets a decent number of threes. And that caginess on the perimeter doesn't totally go away. You can't do the same theoretics. You can't really jump into people the same way. But if you get someone on a pump fake and you go up within the normal motion of your shot, it's still going to be a foul. So I, I think that'll still be a significant part of his game. And, and to me, that's sort of the key to his, I mean, beyond obviously just to your point, like the mere fact of getting all the way to the rim and, and eventually developing more of a mid-range game. That is ultimately the key to his consistency night to night, because the biggest issue we had with Emmanuel Quickly last year, and we have with so many of these guys, is when you're a rookie and either your shot isn't falling, or whatever your primary skill is, isn't coming to fruition on that night. It's very, very hard to be successful because you just you don't have all the tools in your bag that you eventually will. And I, I think if Quickly gets to that point where he's shooting eight free throws a game and he's shooting them at around ninety percent. That's a baseline positive player, almost regardless of anything else that that guy does on the floor. So I'm I'm curious, as as I'm sure you are, um, just how much of a part of his game that is going to be this season. But Alex, we should probably tell people. Um, I don't know if Emmanuel quickly uses them, but what what, what would you say like the protein bar is that's probably fueling the majority of the best athletes in the world?
1: Well, you know, he looked he looked like he got a little swole this off season. He looked like. He was putting in some work in the gym, which is pretty tough for quickly because he's he's very slimly built. But, you know, he, he looks like he put on some, some good muscle mass over this offseason. Perhaps he was eating some Built Bars. And I wouldn't blame him because Built Bars are the most delicious protein bar out there. They come in so many delicious flavors. There really is something for everyone. For example, my favorites are Coconut and Cookies and Cream. You know, coconut reminds me like a Mounds bar or an Almond Joy, and cookies and cream tastes so similar to like a, a Hershey's cookies and cream bar, but it's chewy on the inside, has chocolate coating on the outside. It's just so delicious. Also, I got to taste test some cookie dough built bars recently, and that's definitely one of my favorite flavors right now. I'm not sure if it's up just yet, but Limited edition flavor probably coming out soon. That's probably why they sent some for me to taste test was because it's coming soon. So keep an eye out for some cookie dough ones. Those are fantastic. All Built Bars, I mean, they're great. They taste just like a candy bar, but you don't have to deal with all the candy bar guilt with all those empty calories and sugars and fat and crap going into your body. Because Built Bars have 17 to 18 grams of protein per bar to help you recover from your workout and only have 130 to 180 calories per bar. Only four to five grams of sugar and only four to five grams of net carbs. It's a really good ratio of protein to not a lot of calories and especially a great deal of taste for all that protein and not a lot of calories. So if you want to get some built bars for yourself, go to built.com and use promo code locked15 and you will get 15% off your order. Again, use promo code locked15 for 15% off at built.com. All right, and we're back for our third and final segment talking about Emmanuel quickly going into this upcoming season. Uh, I realized we haven't really done just like a stat dump on him yet of all of his stats from last year because the big picture stuff is so much more interesting. But let's just let's just go over his stats real quick. You know, we've brought up a couple, but here's here's the rest. Last season played 19.4 minutes per game, scored 11.4 points in those 19.4 minutes per game. Uh, 2.1 rebounds, 2 assists per game. Shot 39.5% from the floor, 38.9% from three, 89.1% from the free throw line. Uh, that translated out to a 50% effective field goal percentage, which is pretty good. Uh, 15.8 PER, that's player efficiency rating. Uh, 3.8 win shares, which tries to estimate um, how many wins a player contributed to on the court, which that's actually quite a high number. Um, and then per cleaning the glass, I, I already sort of went over the the three-point numbers. So I won't go over that too much. Um, But also, Gavin, that one of the big things that we want to talk about was the defense. And, you know, I think that so you would you would wrote the question in like our our prep notes, like, can you get away with playing him and Rose defensively in the playoffs? And, you know, that it would be matchup dependent, but could be tough. I actually based off looking up some numbers and I'll throw these to you and and just kind of get your thoughts on it. But I think that based off how the numbers bear out, He did a pretty good job um, guarding ones and twos last year, and you know I think that's largely due to his you know he has he has a pretty plus wingspan for someone who's I believe measures out at six foot three, Um, but I think he has a six foot eight wingspan or maybe even six foot nine um, based off his combine measurements, and that that shows and you know you can see how long his arms are by comparison. It's sort of similar to I mean I'm not saying he is the same player, but similar build to a guy like a Donovan Mitchell who's you know, on the shorter end, but holds up pretty well on defense because of that longer wingspan that he has. Um, so I've been using this stat and this is maybe the, the most interesting that this is, that this stat has come across to me so far. So basketball index does a, a stat called positional versatility that I brought up, I think on every single one of our, our, uh, you know, player previews here. Cause I enjoy basketball Index's stats. They've got a lot of stuff that's uh that's for smarter people than me. Um, Actually, I'll I'll shout out there. They may they actually named quickly their rookie of the year last year because from their database among rookies, he was first in perimeter shooting talent rating, first in uh, their LeBron metric, which is a their own answer to like a um, a box plus minus sort of stat. You know, it's like a a stat that attempts to measure impact of players on games um, in like a in like a quantifiable like plus minus sort of way uh, so he was first in their LeBron stat first in their offensive LeBron stat which is offensive impact for per 100 possessions uh, he was first in their LeBron wins added which is a total impact stat so first among all those three categories and eighth in their playmaking talent rating which is a pretty talented class of playmakers last year with guys like LaMelo Ball Tyrese Halliburton and all them in the class as well so Pretty good stuff there um, for quickly, but the one that I want to get to is the positional versatility stat, which tries to measure how versatile guys are on defense, uh, how many positions they can guard, that sort of thing. What B-ball Index does is is formulates, you know, they they look through all the possessions that a player guarded the year prior, and then try to determine, okay, he was guarding a point guard on this possession, he was guarding a shooting guard. Such an you know so on and so forth all the way through center and then make it into a a percentage split of what positions he was guarding. So he scored out at a sixty point two. You know as I've noted on the the ones with the centers for the Knicks, you know the the centers and like uh, some of the you know like the big men on the Knicks scored pretty low, which is around like a fifty or even below. That's that's considered a pretty low score. Um, Obi scored out at around the same as quickly around a sixty and. That basically says, you know, I think that more or less, if you're like a two position defender, by and large, you're going to score out around like a 60. And that's basically where Quickly scored out as being able to guard ones and twos. He guarded point guards and shooting guards roughly 40% each, according to uh, B-Ball Index's numbers. And that combined with the fact that Quickly last year per basketball reference was a plus 6.6. In his on off rating per 100 possessions, which suggests to me, you know, that it, he can, you know, even if his defense isn't perfect, what he brings on offense gives you enough extra combined with his ability to just credibly defend ones and twos, ones and twos, even if he's not like a lockdown defender. Um, I, I think to me that that plus 6.6, which is not. That's not a small number. That's that's quite a big impact for a player, especially a, a rookie coming off the bench only playing 19 minutes per game. Um, to me, that that says to me that I think that he should be okay on defense. But I'll throw it to you because it was your question, you know, like, of if he's going to be able to, you know, work with Derrick Rose in high leverage situations on defense. Like, how do you feel about that, it, given some of those stats too?
0: Yeah, I think ultimately, like, I it was, it was something I was thinking of in the moment and the more I sat with it, like, probably not going to be a huge issue because you're still i mean even with high level teams like you might have one like, like if you're playing the nets obviously like some one one of Kyrie James Harden or KD are all going to be on the court that sort of becomes a bigger problem but that's that's an issue for everyone like you you, you go across all these rosters like very few teams have defensive dynamos coming off the bench in the playoff. and if they do it's they're not very good offensive players because if not they'd be starters so I, I think I agree with, with your core argument is like Derek Rose and Emmanuel quickly as a backcourt are going to have the advantage on the vast majority of bench units and the Knicks whoop people off the bench last year like they, they absolutely kicked ass in those minutes and really really separated and and, and part of it is that they have Nerlens Noel as an eraser on that back end and I think I mean you look at the Knicks internal logic for for making that deal it was because they're saying hey if we're going to go offense with, with quickly and Rose, we need, we need a counterbalance to that. And and you, you have it in New Noel. So I am I'm, I'm with you that I don't think it's going to be a major issue. And I'm just curious what kind of strides he ends up making defensively over the course of this next season and over the course of his career, because he's a guy, I mean, you'd eventually presumably want to see get to a point where he's, he's starting for the Knicks and, or, or maybe he's a sixth man, but someone who's finishing games. And to do that, you have to be able to credibly guard the best guards in the league. And last year, we, we just genuinely, we didn't get to see a lot of those possessions because he, he was not a starter. He was, he was playing finite minutes uh, on the majority of his nights. So uh, I'm fascinated to see going forward if he continues to improve on that end of the floor. I think he's very, very smart defensively. To your point, the wingspan is a plus. He has quick feet. He's intuitive. There's not a lot holding him back from being an above average defender. There's a lot holding him back from being a good to great defender. So that'll I guess time will tell on that front. Um, Alex, I guess to to wrap everything up, I'll, I'll throw this at you. What would you say ultimately constitutes a successful season for him? Because as, as we noted, there are, there are artificial bounds sort of, and, and maybe, uh, God forbid, like Kevin Walker, Derrick Rose suffers a significant injury, and all of a sudden, like those bounds are gone. But for now, there are, there are sort of bounds on what he can do next year. And, and that both lowers his ceiling, but also maybe creates more reasonable expectations for him, where if the Knicks had brought, had, let's just say the Knicks had not done the Kemba Walker deal and had brought in had kept Luca Vildoza. We should, we should mention the Knicks uh, waived Luca Vildoza over the weekend. That That's the entirety that we're going to talk about that, at least for now. Um, there's a world where Quickly is competing for the starting point guard spot with Rose, where he's starting long stretches of the year where Rose is out, or where he's playing around 30 minutes per game, and, and Kemba just completely shifted that dynamic. So I'm, I'm curious what ultimately constitutes a successful season for him in your mind.
1: Yeah. It, it, this might be the hardest one to answer among any of the players too. I think, because I think that we both have such lofty expectations for him at this point where we're, we're thinking like, you know, we've already said a few times on just this pot alone, or at least I, I certainly have of like the ceiling for this guy is potentially a superstar, you know, if he really puts it all together. So Of course, we want to see more from him, but it it might be out of uh, certainly out of our hands, out of his hands, you know, and even if he plays fantastic, he still might not be able to get those minutes because he's playing behind some really fantastic players, you know, in their own right with Kembo, with Rose, with Fournier, uh, Alec Burks, you know, all these guys are great NBA players, you know, that have all proven, beyond a shadow of a doubt that they are guys that can go out there and do a similar thing to what quickly does, which is go out there and get you lots of points. And, you know, it's, it's just weird to have this glut of scoring talent that the Knicks do at this point um, at the one and two spots, you know, with, without even mentioning like RJ Barrett and, you know, guys like that. And without even mentioning that there's going to be Deuce McBride, Deuce McBride kind of pressing on quickly for minutes at some points, probably this season, you know, if Deuce is really killing it in practice or comes in and has a really good game and garbage time or something, you know, he might start pressing on quickly for taking some of these, these minutes that quickly wants as well. And it's gonna be really difficult, especially because Tibbs is not really the type to play three guard lineups all that much. Although hopefully he views Fournier and Burks just like RJ is kind of more of a swing two three that can potentially get some minutes at the three there. And that opens up more opportunities for quickly at the two and, and possibly the one, I guess, if you go with sort of like a bigger lineup from time to time um, and, and have quickly at the one and then like 48, the two or three or whatever and Burks at the two or three as, as like a weird bench unit. I don't know. I, I think all in all though, based off the fact that we do have to kind of try to temper our expectations based off what's available. Um, as far as minutes and stuff go for the Knicks and for quickly in particular, I just think it it kind of falls into the same category as almost like Obi Toppin we, we were talking about the other day, which is basically I just want to see improvement in the skills that we're looking for, and hopefully by showing improvement in those skills, he earns himself more playing time. I think the worst case scenario as far as quickly is concerned is that he comes out and he underwhelms and loses minutes right away, and you know just kind of has some of that trust that he earned from Tibbs last year erode immediately and then have to fight an uphill battle to gain those minutes and that trust back. So I, I guess really the the big thing, the thing one that starts a successful season for him to me is if he comes out of the gate strong and, um, you know, just... The, Asserts himself early in the season. I, I think that's going to be thing one towards a successful season. Then a successful season will just be asserting himself enough that he he demands minutes more or less. Not not verbally, not like going up to him and saying I want more minutes, or going to the press and saying I want more minutes, but through his play, which is all the quickly really does anyway. He's not much of a, a junk talker. Uh, to the media or anything it doesn't seem like you know he's just he's very by the book and and chilled out and team player all that stuff but by his play I hope that he makes a statement that I need more minutes I am better than just a 15 minute per game player and you need to play me more minutes because it's going to help this team win basketball games even more so than a player like Alec Burks or something Um, that's my greatest hope for quickly for this year and what would constitute an ultimate successful season to me.
0: Yeah, I'm in. I'm in total agreement, and I think on that we will wrap this up on Emmanuel quickly. Uh, I'm I'm certainly looking forward to him about as as much as any other Nick to seeing him play this year, and it's going to be really really exciting. So I want to thank you all one final time for making Locked On Knicks your first listen of the day. Remember to go and check out other Locked On podcasts, such as Locked On Fantasy Basketball, Locked On NBA, and, and a million others across every single sport. Um, throughout the day and one final time we'll be coming to YouTube soon and we'll let you know when that's happening. Until then, be good. Peace out.